0: Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, July 14th, and today Julia Yaffe is here to talk about the saga of Brittany Greiner, the WNBA star who was arrested in Russia back in February for carrying vape cartridges in her luggage and now faces a dark future in the Russian legal system. There's no one better than Julia to explain how this case is playing out inside Russia, in the diplomatic universe, and whether Greiner has any shot at freedom. And later in the show, Tara Palmeri is here to talk about Glenn Youngkin and the gossip out of the Commonwealth that the Republican governor of Virginia might throw his hat into the ring in 2024. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode, The Powers That Be. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Thursday, everybody. Happy Bastille Day to all of you French Republicans listening. Bonjour. I'm joined today uh, by Julia Yaffe, who has a very timely piece up on Puck about Brittany Griner and her saga in the Russian penal system <laughs> and courts. The reason this piece is so good and I uh, vigorously tweeted it out is because a lot of the coverage about Brittany Griner sort of lacks the insight that Julia is able to provide about how this is going down inside Russia, both on the diplomatic side in terms of negotiations, but also like how Russian courts work. And the first thing I want to point out before I get to you, Julia, is in Russia, this is in your piece, in Russia, once an arrest is made, the suspect is pulled into a machine that results in one outcome and one outcome only, a guilty verdict. In fact, less than 1% of verdicts handed down in Russia are acquittals or not guilty verdicts. 1%. Let me phrase that another way. The statistic I've always seen thrown around is that 99.1% of cases end in a guilty verdict. So Julia, she was caught (laughs) with vape cartridges in a country that has zero tolerance for drugs, especially foreigners carrying drugs. Um, So it's not like as much as this is a terrible situation, it's a situation of her own making, is it not?
1: I think at first when when the story broke, I thought, you know, maybe the police had planted drugs on her because they do that too a lot in Russia, especially if You're somebody they're interested in, like you're an opposition politician or journalist or a business rival or from some rival clan and whatever, uh, you know, interior ministry branch you work in. But then she said, like, they were mine and I accidentally forgot them in there. I think a lot of people were shocked by her guilty plea. But I don't want to victim blame here. That said, this was not her first trip to Russia. She's been playing there in the off-season since 2014. She must have known what it means not just to be an American in Russia, as tensions have gotten higher and higher and higher in these past eight years, but also how Russians treat Black people, LGBT people, celebrities, and Americans, right? And, you know, although there is quite a bit of drug use in the cities, So, you know, if you don't have some kind of like protection or whatever, um, you're running a massive risk, especially as an American, especially as a black person, especially as a gay person. The problem now is that once you're arrested, you will be found guilty and you will be sentenced. The most you could hope for is like a suspended sentence, which is like probation.
0: And so how much of her situation is... Affected by the fact that this arrest happened on February fifteenth, right before Russia invaded Ukraine. If this happened two years ago, would Brittany Greiner be home right now?
1: I don't know if she'd be home right now. I think regardless, they would want to finish the trial and sentence her. There would have to be her appealing in some way to Vladimir Putin for her release. But they tend to want to do these things after the trial is finished and there's a sentence. But yeah, I think if this had been happening two years ago, I think her chances would have looked a lot better. I think given everything that Putin has done in the last two years, um, make this deal a lot less likely. And from what I'm hearing, it's not really looking good for Brittany Griner, unfortunately, because what my reporting indicates is that the White House has made the Kremlin an offer, what they say is a serious offer. And there's nothing like the the Kremlin doesn't, according to them, does is not in the mood to make a deal.
0: So would a deal include a prisoner swap?
1: So far, from what I understand, the Russians haven't come back with anything. Like they just are not in the mood to make a deal is what it seems like. That said, if I were the Russians and I saw Brittany Griner's kind of public value getting higher and higher and higher as the pressure for her release grows in the U.S., why stop at a prisoner exchange? You know, if I'm Vladimir Putin, I'm going to be like, you want Brittany Griner back? Fine. Lift some sanctions.
0: So I want to get to some of the discourse around this, which you point out in the piece, and everyone has really pointed out, including Griner's friends and family, which is like, if this happened to LeBron James, you know, there'd be like a global uproar. One, I don't know if that's the case, like to your point, like Putin would have an even bigger bargaining chip <laughs> on James. Yeah. Um, but two, LeBron James wouldn't be in fucking Russia because here's why he Brittany makes Greiner plays money in Russia. Right? Yeah, correct. I mean, Brittany Griner is uh, like, I think the fourth or fifth highest paid player in the WNBA. But the, the salary top salaries are like 230 K, which is what around what Brittany Griner makes. And that's not an insignificant mm-hmm. amount of money. But it's not what LeBron James makes. No, I mean, like, I think the total of a team's salary cap, whole team salary cap in the WNBA is like less than any individual NBA players like salary for a year or something. I I might be like riffing there, but it's something like that. And so the reason she was in Russia was about half of WNBA players play overseas to supplement their income
1: and make more money there than they do in the U.S., Which is crazy.
0: Yeah. And so like the median WNBA player, like uh, there's, I think there's like 140 players in WNBA, makes like 70K. And so they have to play in the offseason. A bunch of them play in Russia and Ukraine. And China, right? Yeah, exactly. But male athletes wouldn't be (laughs) in those countries in the first place. So that's like the the root situation here. But again, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine, very progressive the other day, and he was just like, Americans sometimes feel like they have this exceptionalism when they travel, that the rules don't apply to them or that they can't get in trouble. And like I feel, I feel like there's some documentary I watched about this Australian like college girl who went to Thailand like in the 90s or 2000s and like tried to smuggle pot. and it's like she's in jail in Thailand forever, Full stop.
1: And I think that's especially the case when you travel abroad and when you travel to an authoritarian country Mm -hmm. that has really terrible relations with the U.S., I think journalists have to be more more attuned to it. A, we're not celebrities and B, we're not super welcomed by these authoritarian regimes, right? But you always kind of know that you have a blue passport but there isn't that much the U.S. Embassy can do for you. Like you are taking on a certain amount of risk when you go abroad. Last month, an American teacher who used to work for the U.S. Embassy was sentenced to 14 years for weed, even though he had a medical marijuana license. The Russians are like, "I don't. that's just a piece of paper to us. We don't recognize it. And I'm sure she wasn't thinking of this. And it's crazy to even have to think about this when you travel just for work. But unfortunately, that's the kind of the context that she stumbled into, unfortunately for her. And one of the lo- Russian lawyers I talked to said that, you know, she's lucky she'll get six to seven years.
0: That's what I was going to ask you next. Like what? I feel like 10 years is being knocked around on Center the other night, six to seven. That's
1: the maximum penalty. Gotcha. And okay. now she's pled guilty. So she'll I mean, but even without it, she would have been found guilty. Maybe to like be nice, the judge will give her six, seven years or eight mm-hmm. years And that'll be served out in a penal colony. And most of these penal colonies are kind of where the Gulag era antecedents were. And the women's colonies are known to be particularly violent.
0: Does she speak Russian? I mean, she's played over there No, she doesn't. Yeah.
1: She doesn't. You know, and she's just so visible. Like, she's black. Russians are not very friendly to non-white people, um, to put it mildly. She's gay. It's a pretty homophobic society. She's American. People don't really don't like Americans over there right now. And she's going to be in a penal colony until Putin decides he wants to trade her for something. It's really
0: sad. It's really haunting. Um, everyone re- should really go read this, this piece. Um, I feel like, Puck, we should be, uh, if you're listening, John, covering the, <laughs> throwing, throwing sports on the intersections that we do, the of Hollywood, <laughs> Silicon Valley, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this is a, like sports is a huge part of business and culture and global culture and you are the perfect person to write this story. So thank you for that. Even though I still don't understand how basketball works. <laughs> <laughs> really?
1: I mean, I know the ball goes in the hoop and you get points for that, but that's it.
0: It's called a home run <laughs> when you throw the ball in the peach <laughs> basket. It's called one home run.
1: And then you do a home run dance, right? Then you Is do that a home run
0: dance uh, in okay. the end zone. And then that's how you win a basketball game, a sport match of perfect. basketball.
1: Perfect. A sports uh, <laughs> ball game.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Julie. Enjoy your best deal day.
1: Thanks.
3: Get IXL now and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome
0: back, everyone. Now let's take a quick minute to see what's going on with Tara Palmieri on Herbie right now.
4: Thanks, Peter. Um, so I've got a new piece out about how Glenn Youngkin, the kind of upstart from Virginia, no one knew about him at all. He was a businessman turned politician um, who just won in Virginia a purple state. How he is sort of chipping into Mike Pence's lane. And it looks increasingly like Glenn Youngkin is going to throw his hat in the ring for a 2024 run. In Virginia, you only get one term as governor. So it's kind of now or never. He's hot right now. His name is on the rise. You win in Virginia and you're a star. So um, Glenn Youngkin has been meeting with donors in in New York. He's just starting to signal that he's looking for bigger things. And, you know, his win was such a, a coup for the Republicans, against Harry McAuliffe, who's kind of like a namesake in the Democratic Party that people are talking seriously about Glenn Youngkin. Here's the interesting thing about Glenn Youngkin. He's not only, you know, a very wealthy businessman worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, he doesn't have a lot of political background, so he doesn't have a lot of political baggage, right? But he's also an evangelical. He founded a church in his basement, and he's going to Right to Life marches in Virginia, and he can tap into the evangelical base that Pence has long had a strong lock on. But Pence has really suffered in recent weeks with this January 6th hearings. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, how is Pence suffering from the January 6th hearings? He sounds like a hero. He was a victim of this crazy crowd and Trump's reckless behavior, frankly. But to the MAGA faithful and to followers of Donald Trump, they see Pence as a traitor. In fact, at this um, event last week, it's a faith and freedom summit um, that's attended mainly by evangelicals you know, Pence was booed. He was called a traitor. And so this is some serious baggage that that Pence has. And everyone is trying to tap into this evangelical base. And if Glenn Youngkin has access to them as a true believer, that puts him in a whole other category. Could also make him a very palatable running mate for someone even like DeSantis or Donald Trump, who's trying to tap into that base. That was a big part of the reason why... Trump put Pence on the ticket. And so not only does Glenn Youngkin have this same lane as, as Pence being an evangelical, he has a few of his former staffers that are working for him now. So you can kind of see a crossover and you could kind of see Pence world easily migrating over to Youngkin's world. Pence's longtime spokesperson, Devin O'Malley, did some work for Glenn Youngkin um, when he was running. He, I think he ran his press for his campaign. He's now back working with Pence. But one of Pence's Press aides in the White House is the press secretary for Glenn Youngkin. Pence's lawyer during the Mueller investigation is the counselor to the governor to Youngkin. There's a lot of crossover between the two. I spoke to a former Pence aide who said it makes kind of makes perfect sense that you would see that. And um, let me tell you what this Pence aide said to me. I think the appeal between both Youngkin and Pence that they're both old school politicians studied, measured by the book. They aren't bombastic showboats or lightning rods. <clears throat> not said, but Trump, in how they conduct themselves. In a potential post-Trump era, that's very appealing to staff. But more importantly, many are making the calculation it's what the American voter wants. Less drama, more deliverables. So yeah, that's exactly what the appeal is. And again, having that grip on the evangelical party. Now, I would say Pence has much higher name recognition than Glenn Youngkin. Pence is in demand right now around the country to campaign for midterm candidates, but he's seen his stock kind of drop among some of the Republican Party faithful for crossing Trump or perceived crossing of Trump. And that is going to be a liability for him. But I spoke to one of uh, Pence's top aides in the White House, his former chief of staff on the record, Mark Short. He said that we're always happy when our people go out and help each other. He said he would take issue with the idea that they're both establishment. He said that he has not seen any invitations around the country for Pence to climb since the January 6th hearings. He thinks that, if anything, he's getting more invitations to campaign. And the fear that Pence is being mortally bruised by this January 6th hearing is not something that they're experiencing. So that's another interesting little tidbit as well that you can read about in the Washington Mall. Thanks so much, Peter, for having me.
0: Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.